What's going on everybody? Before we get going, I would like to introduce our new show called High Anxiety. And in this new show, we'll be taking a deeper dive into specific mental illnesses. We'll be sitting down with some of our peers and see what they are going through, how it affects their everyday life, how they cope, and they can potentially give you some advice that can help you as well. So some things that you may hear are going to be graphic at times, so listener discretion is of course advised. We also can't stress enough that you are not alone and that there's always help. Suicide and self-harm is never the answer, and if you ever have any of these thoughts, please reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. The number is 800-273-8255. That's 800-273-8255. Please reach out. And without further ado, let's get into it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to High Anxiety, where we tackle life's hardest challenges. This week, we have a very special guest. Uh, one that we've been very trying to special. get off. Yeah, it's very special. Um, the podcast co- co-host, essentially. Uh, we got Mike here. You want to say Hello. This? Um, so, what are we going to be talking about this week? We're going to be talking about two mental health disorders that I struggle with. And okay. that's obsessive compulsive disorder and general anxiety disorder. Okay. So, usually, a lot of people, when they hear OCD, hmm. it's like, oh, they're super clean, or they have oh, to do something God, a certain amount of times. Face, yeah. No, I know. And I was talking to a friend actually right before this, and she said, what does he have to, like, flip the light switch three times? I'm like, that's a form of OCD, but that's not what he has. So what you have is not everything needs to be absolutely tidy and neat. No. It doesn't – you don't need to touch something three times or anything like that. No, that's not what I have. Okay, so do you want to kind of take me through what you – yeah. What you have and how you... So my OCD, my um, subtype is what it's called, is magical thinking. And basically what that, how that impairs, has impaired significantly in the past, actually not so much now since therapy, but um, if certain thoughts, images, or sounds come up in my life, I have to do or not do something which are the compulsions okay. so an example that i would use um that really impaired my life quite significantly was whenever there would be a commercial that would come on on tv that had to do with anything with this um a terminal illness okay cancer aids whatever that was i would have to sit and wait until the com- all the commercials were done or the show came back on in order for me to get up and do something. And that that was like my, my form of like my compulsion. Like okay. it, it's it's really difficult talking about this because it's it saying it out loud and like everybody who has OCD says this at a therapist, like I'm gonna sound crazy but and then they mention yeah. it. But it's a whole different story when you're in the when it you're actually having an OCD episode and there's actual thoughts where, okay, something might happen if something else doesn't happen again. A quick example, like you said, like there is the light switch one where there are some people who need to switch the, whether it's the light switch on or their car door, or they're afraid that their mom will die. But they, the feelings that accompany that particular thought are like real. Like it will literally feel as though my mom has a good chance of passing away. So it's like if you've ever been afraid for a loved one's life when something's actually happening, OCD will mimic that for something as small as not touching a a light switch or touching a car door or something like that. So magical thinking can cover a broad range of that. 
for as far as what um, what it can do. But there's also um, I do want to, this. Is, these aren't any of my um, subtopics, but I do want to cover it for anyone else listening who has similar symptoms. There's relationship OCD is a big one where people um, get certain thoughts and feelings about their partner and they'll feel that they don't love their partner enough and so they have to do certain things in order to balance out that feeling okay um so they'll they'll if a thought will come into their mind where they'll see somebody cross if they're a girl they'll see a guy crossing the street and a thought will come into their mind oh i really like that guy's pants the OCD will then throw them feelings of, oh, do you not really love your boyfriend now? Or you not really love your husband okay. because you like that guy's pants? And then everyone's compulsions are completely different for what that can happen. But there's a real intense anxiety that's attached to that. So for the rest of the day, they could be consumed with the fact that they do or do not love their partner. When in reality, that's not actually the case. It's just OCD sending a false alarm that okay. this is happening. Then there's um, pedophilia OCD, which I've I've read um, on on uh, this app, which I'll mention at the end, where um, people get thoughts of oh th- that kid's really cute, and the OCD will mimic feelings as in oh does that mean you want to touch that kid? Do you want to have sex yeah. with that kid? Which and obviously that's gonna that's gonna send your distress level from baseline skyrocketing. Like yeah. am I really that type of person? But the very fact that you're questioning it and it bothers you shows you that that is not something that you value otherwise it wouldn't bother you real people who are real um pedophiliacs they don't have that feeling because it's aligned with their values and you know so the very like but it's it's easier to tell that you know it's easier said than done saying that to a person then there's um harm OCD and self-harm OCD that's another big one there was people there was a, a mom who I talked to last year um, on uh, on a forum and she was getting thoughts of harming her kid so a thought will come into your mind again it's an example would be like if you somebody tells you not think of a purple elephant you're going to think of a purple elephant yeah so you're going to have thoughts okay do not think about stabbing your kid do not think about drowning your kid in the bathtub these horrific thoughts and because you don't want to think about them, you're going to you, think about them. Exactly. But the person with the thing that differentiates somebody with OCD and somebody who doesn't is somebody without OCD can dismiss those thoughts very quickly. Where it'll come into my mind, oh, that was weird, and it'll leave and they'll get on with their day. To whereas somebody with um, OCD and particularly the um, one uh, their um, amygdala part of their brain, which is the uh, fight or flight response, and it, it controls the uh, limbic system, I believe. So there's a lot of emotions that okay. goes on that part of the brain. It misfires, and it tells the brain that this there's something that has to be done about this thought. And so they believe in their mind that they want to harm their kid, when in reality they don't. And that works with self-harm as well, is that there's some people who are afraid that they actually want to kill themselves or they're getting suicidal thoughts, yeah. and that this is the alignment with who they are. But the, so people with OCD, to sum all of that up, again, there's so many different thoughts, is that their, their thoughts are stickier than people without OCD. Like that's okay. kind of the easiest way to put it. And because that the amygdala part of the brain misfires, it takes that information and it takes that stimulus, whether it be an internal stimulus, created a thought that just came out of nowhere, or a commercial, as I said, or a radio ad or something in a conversation. And it'll take that, it'll take that stimulus and it'll take that thought and it'll tell you something has to be done about this right now. And then the compulsions can be, you can, could be anything in the world. Again, it could be, you know, there's the common one, there's the light switch one. There's ones where people, um, 
particularly with harm OCDs, they can't be around knives. So they can't be around any sharp objects. They can't be around knives. They can't watch anything that has to do with harming um, okay. other people because if they do, they'll their brain will think that this is what you want. This is what you okay. want happening, and the distress level will skyrocket, and you'll get serious anxiety. So and is panic. it essentially your th- your thoughts kind of playing tricks on you? Essentially, yeah, it's your br- it's your brain playing tricks on you. OCD. To sum it up, that it's a brain wiring problem. So people with OCD. Their, their, the wiring in their brain, and it's there's certain chemicals and certain um, uh, wiring, so to speak, is it misfires. So the easiest way that I was able to comprehend this was from a book called um, Brain Lock, um, which I highly recommend for anybody who uh, is looking to um, read into OCD and starting with self-help, which I'll, I'll get to that in a bit. I kind of want to go over some um, tips and advice at the end, but Brain Lock, yeah. nonetheless... He, uh, he explains it. It's like a car. It's a faulty car alarm that goes off, okay. or a faulty fire alarm that goes off. To where there's again, anxiety in and of itself isn't dangerous, and it does alert you to plenty of things that you need to watch out for. Again, you know, granted, when our ancestors were looking at saber-toothed tigers or bears, anxiety in and of itself saved them. We are, we, you know, we are still innately that sense in one sense of a word. We still function like that, but it's just different. Yeah. It's just a stimulus is different nowadays, but it's, we still function like that. So there are plenty of times where I'm sure that your firearm will actually, if you have a broken firearm, there'll be plenty of times where the firearm will be correct and it'll, it'll yeah. detect smoke and something has to be done. But more often than not, because you know you have a faulty fire alarm, it's going to go off. It's like the batteries are low. Right, the batteries are low. You can say the yeah. batteries low or the wiring's off. Yeah. And it'll go off in times where it's not appropriate and mm-hmm. nothing's ap- actually happening. And what you're doing by compulsions, you're going and grabbing the fire extinguisher, sitting yeah. waiting for there to be a fire when nothing's actually happening. But the thing that it's tough for people without OCD to understand, but if it, it, it's still, it's not that it's necessarily they can't understand it, but there's, there's a real fear involved. Like if you've ever done anything, obviously plenty of people have done things where you are genuinely terrified of, and there's that feeling that you get in your gut that something bad's going to happen, whether maybe for some people it's bungee jumping, maybe for some people it's flying in a plane, maybe yeah. for some people it's swimming. That same feeling gets mimicked if you don't switch the light switch off three times. If you don't, for me, if I, if I don't watch a couple commercials again, so there's this, there's a real fear that's attached to it and it impairs your life incredibly now there is um, parts of ocd that do involve cleanliness like there's it's not yeah it's not that it isn't but that it's it's a huge misrepresentation and you know a lot of people it doesn't particularly bother me but a, um, a lot of people in who do suffer with ocd do not like it when people use OCD as an adjective where they're like, oh, I'm so OCD this, yeah. I'm so OCD that. The reason it doesn't bother me is because I know that there's no malice. I know that they're not intentionally using yeah. that word because it, it's been so normalized. But I, that's why I take any opportunity that I get to just correct them and say it's actually it's actually a very debilitating yeah. disorder. It's like I, I also don't use the word depression lightly um, or the word depressed lightly either yeah. because I know that that's a very serious mental disorder. So I, when some people are like, oh, I'm so depressed, my team lost, it's like – you're if not, you you're suffer- not, it's not that you're actually depressed. You feel depressed and you feel down, but that's sad. But depression's yeah, a whole other level it, of sorrow. It attacks everything. Yeah. And, for, and, and it doesn't last a, a fucking day. Yeah. And, it lasts so much more than that. And that's why I, like, I, it's just, it's, but I don't, I, like I said, at the same time where it's like, you just got to be courteous about it and just say, listen, this is, 
you know, it's just not, especially people who do suffer with depression, yeah. suffer with OCD, suffer with anxiety. You don't want to use those words so lightheartedly because it's, there's, it ruins people's lives. Exactly. And so yeah, it's yeah. like, so again, that's what it is as far as um, those subtypes of OCD. But I said, back, um, just circling back to my OCD, my particular OCD is I suffer from magical thinking. So that would be, that's one example. Um, and it would impair my life significantly because if I can't tell you how many times I was late going out or coming here, um, particularly yeah. not necessarily in the past year because I've, I've gotten a little bit more of better of a handle on it. But two, two three years ago, three years ago, yeah, it was... Um, I was, it was late bad. a lot, yeah. but most of the time what was happening was I would be going ready to leave the house and I would get triggered in some way. There would be a commercial coming on where I could be talking to my mom. I was talking to my mom and, and a commercial for cancer came on. And so I'd be afraid if I leave the house right now, my mom might get cancer. Yeah. And it sounds like absolutely ludicrous, but the feeling that came along with it was yeah. anything but. And so you're just kind of sitting there like your brain convinces you, well, why risk it? Just yeah. sit and wait an extra 10, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and go out and do your thing. And so that got me in a lot of trouble over yeah. the years. And, like, as your friends and, like, you say one thing, like, oh, okay, well, I'll meet you at 730. And then, like, it's, like, getting towards, like, 830. And we're, like, like yeah. where is he? It's, it's not the fact that it, we just didn't know. Yeah. Th- that's no, the th- I, I said, that's no... the thing. Until you told us, then yeah. I'm, like, okay, then. Like, because we used to joke about it, but we didn't know at the time. Yeah, no, again, there's so, I have no fault whatsoever. Because so, I mean, like you said, like, I didn't know that until you told me. How could you? That's what exactly. I'm there's, there's, and, But it's, it's, I've gotten more, I'm comfortable talking about it now, but last year and even a few years ago, I, I just, I, saying it out loud was something that I would never do. Was it? the fear of being judged by other people or just misunderstood not okay. necessarily judged but misunderstood because okay. it comes off as crazy when you want to switch a light switch you can't leave a commercial yeah you leave a commercial it comes off as is absolutely crazy um so it's just it's one of those things where you you kind of have to get out of you have to get out of your own head and and observe yourself and then once you can see what's going on then you can get more comfortable okay in in talking about it so how long has this been going on for I've had OCD for the past eight to nine years of my life. Okay. Um, it started in college. I started to do little things that I knew didn't really make sense. Okay. So there would like there would be a lot of times where um, again, if there would be a again, I'm just using a quick example. If I would hear um, the word cancer or something on the radio, then I wouldn't be able to listen to my favorite song that day. Because my br- my brain would make a connection between listening to my favorite song and somebody myself or somebody getting cancer, so okay. it's little things like that. Like I would just get these feelings, and it's and again that started off, uh, like I said, probably in about my twenties um, is when I had it, and then I didn't actually get diagnosed until uh, May of last year. Okay, was when I just dis- because of May of last year is when I decided to get help. So did you? Did you think it was OCD at the start? No. So, I had no idea what it was. So did start. you just think, oh, this is just how I am? I, I just thought that I, yeah, it, it's it's weird. I, I That's the best way to put it, I guess. I just thought this is just how I was. It just I had a whole bunch of feelings and behaviors that made no sense, and I had no idea what to do about them. I just know that I couldn't stop them. And then did it ever get to a point where it's just like, okay, I need to like talk to somebody now yeah. about um, it? right. Before the pandemic, basically, okay. Um, you know, I was going through some personal stuff with my, you know, uh, relationship, and um, 
after that, it just it started. I was just the GAD, the general anxiety disorder, started to um, spike as well, and so okay. I was dealing with general anxiety disorder, and I was also dealing with OCD, and I was like, I, I have to, I have to do something about this. But I knew I had OCD probably for the past four years. Okay. Um, because when I really once once I started to graduate college and the behaviors and thoughts started to get more prevalent in my life, I wanted to figure out what it was. And right about that time I started, that's when I started reading. I started looking, um, looking up into different authors and different books about self-help in general, not necessarily OCD. Yeah. And then from there I came across, um, I came across the term OCD and I looked into it. And right when I read the definition of what it was, I was, I was like, it was at the same time ter- I was terrified, but at the same time relieved. Like I, I was terrified because like I have a disorder. Like I have, I don't. Is something wrong with me? Yeah. I feel like I have a disease. Like what's going on? But at the same time relieved that I have there, a name for you have something. A label. I have yeah. labeled something, and from there, that's when I instantly. Then you could just attack it. Exactly. I went to Amazon and I looked up. Um, I looked up OCD self help books, and that's where Brainlock came into came up. And I read Brainlock and um, Brainlock. Again, it basically it gives you a, um, a, a cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy technique to handle uh, OCD, and it also gives you stories about people with OCD, and it gives you um, tips on how to handle it. There's one that was so severe that I want to share in that book, where there was a guy who was obs- had an obsession around battery acid. For some okay. reason, when he was a kid, um, something must have there was some some sort of um, anxious association or traumatic association that happened when he was a kid with battery acid that he, when okay. he was talking to his um, therapist with the story he was as he was describing in the book and anytime there was anything that involved batteries or battery acid he would have to scrub the area down completely and himself down like entirely oh shit and so he went to um there was there was one story that he said there was this one time where his somebody pulled um, a car into his driveway or something. It was uh, um, one of his friend's cars. He didn't know he didn't know about the car, and basically he spent the entire night scrubbing down the entire driveway with a little bristle because that's all he could find because he was so afraid that the battery acid was going okay. to somehow infect him and his family. Mm. So, and he he said things like that happened so often. Like that was a really severe case where he would have. To just scrub down anytime there was any sort of contact yeah. with a battery or something, he would just constantly have to to scrub that down. And then there was, uh, again, there was another one as far as harm OCD where a mother was afraid of, of holding her kid that she wasn't able to experience the positive emotions of having a child because she was so afraid of har- harming this child, of throwing the baby out the window, she said, of stabbing the baby, all getting all of these thoughts. And so she would avoid any intimate contact with her brand new newborn baby because she was so afraid of hurting it. And this, the story, that one went in pretty deep. I'm not going to get into it, but it was heartbreaking because this, this is not an, an isolated story. This, there's so many people that are affected with this disorder, but don't have a name for it and feel like they're bad people. They think yeah. that I want to harm my baby. And, and so it's just like, it's difficult again to, 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 explain what it feels like when there's because everybody gets intrusive thoughts everybody gets intrusive of images but what makes as i said what's the different what differentiates people who don't have ocd and with ocd is that people with ocd those thoughts get stuck 
again, they're stickier, so those thoughts get so stuck. So it's like a song that's stuck on replay, essentially, in right. your mind. which is interesting because where, people with where OCD other, get yeah. songs stuck in their head and things stuck in their head on replay a lot easier than than. Well, it's like people normal do. people, they're just like, okay, next song. And yeah, just you go, can go to the next one. Everybody yeah. gets, like I said, everybody gets it. It's just, it's just a severe... It's like a, like I said, it's a really severe version of trying to uh, of of uh, getting like a song stuck in your head. Yeah. But it's it's a thought of your mom dying, or it's a thought of you getting a disease, or it's thought of you stabbing your kid, and it just plays. It's just there again and again and again and again, and it's vivid, and you can't get it out. So it's like it's again. It's like people. I know that there's a lot of people who, like I said, everybody gets those thoughts. It's just it's it's tough to explain what it's like, the vividness of. And the, the vividness and the feelings associated with those thoughts and images. Now, you you, you don't have the harm one, right? I don't. Okay. Do you... I mean, on estimate, do you think that more people who have the harm one actually do something? Like, they actually no. harm somebody? No. They, not a single person. That's the thing that's so interesting about it is... And, and this is not just coming... This is not coming from me. These are coming from therapists who I've listened to. And they say all the time, like, there is hasn't been one person who has unwillingly harmed their baby or harmed themselves or harmed somebody else because OCD. And that's the thing is intuitively we know with that the OCD can't control us, but we're still afraid of it. But the, the OCD doesn't, doesn't that's 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 where the hope is the ocd does not control your actions no matter what it can throw you it can throw you thoughts it can throw you images it can throw you feelings it can throw you all three of them at once but it doesn't control your actions so there hasn't been one time where somebody said a thought came across their mind like i want to push my mom down the stairs and the ocd made them do it it never happened because it's against your will it's against your values it's not something that you genuinely want to do it's simply is again as simplistic as it sounds it's not but it's your brain misfiring because the thoughts comes in it gets stuck and your brain says something has to be done about this so you were saying that you you essentially self-diagnosed what four years ago right i self-diagnosed myself yes four years ago and then clinically diagnosed last year and then you went you went to a therapist yes still going to okay so take me through that process did you feel like you needed to talk to somebody else yeah and then like like how bad how bad did it get at that? Like, what was the worst? What was the worst part of your life in there? Oh, um, probably when I was in my relationship, it started to like right, right towards the actually towards the a little bit end of my relationship. Um, it, it had nothing to do with my relationship. It was actually because the relationship was going so well, and because I valued so many things in my life that OCD started to, again, what OCD does is OCD attacks values. So OCD started to attack my relationship. OCD started to attack the good things in my life. So I was afraid that if I got up, again, using the commercial an example, when there was a commercial that came out for cancer, that me or the girl I was dating at the time would get this disease. Yeah. Um, there was times where she had left, I remember she left to go to Disney World, and she was always wondering why I would never say I miss you back like she would say i miss you and i would say you too and i would never say it first and um she would say why 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 would you never do that and the reason i didn't do that is because my ocd told me that if i told her that i miss her that something might happen to her plane on the way home okay and so it's be, it's it's interesting but it's yes. because i loved her so much i didn't say i miss you yeah because if i did 
I would literally be for the rest until she got home, whether it be a week, two days, I would be just on complete alert that something was going to happen to her airplane because I said I missed her and and something would happen to her. It's just essentially you'd have an anxiety attack or a panic attack. Until you knew that she was safe. Yeah, like imagine, again, imagine you being, um, again, a boyfriend or girlfriend or a mom or a dad and you're, you know, that feeling of your kid's not safe. Yeah. Knowing that your kid's not safe, even though they they are safe, like even though she was safe, my brain would tell me that she's not safe and something would happen. So that, that was a, that was a big one. Um, Having to sit through, um, trying to watch movies was a big one because anytime there would, again, there would be a commercial that would come up and. You know, um, she wanted to go upstairs or my mom wanted to leave the house. I would make up some excuse to sit and continue just to sit and continue to watch it and, and getting yeah. the thoughts in my mind. Or there was times where, again, it's it's I'm trying to like articulate this well enough because it's it's still a little tough. But so we're driving to well, we're driving to um a place to eat, right? So there was okay. there's this one of our favorite restaurants, and then a thought came into my mind about us, of something, uh, of us getting into a car crash. Like it just randomly came into my mind of us yeah. getting into a car crash. It turned into an obsessive thought. It got stuck, and so my mind says, if you go to this favorite restaurant on your way home, you might have a good chance of getting into a car crash. And so I had to make up some excuse as to why we're not going to go to this restaurant. Like, okay. oh, I want to go to somewhere else, even though she really wanted yeah. to go to this restaurant. And little things like that would happen all of the time. Okay. Where it would just be, there would be a thought that would come in. And again, my my compulsions, having magical thinking, weren't set on one thing. It was whatever I was valuing at the time, it would take away from me. So again, whether it would be going to a favorite restaurant, or as I said, listening to a favorite song, or even in some cases wanting to go out with friends, there would be times where my OCD would tell me not to go out because if you do something, and, and it didn't give me anything in particular, something bad will either happen that night or in the future. It just gave me those okay. those feelings. That false alarm, that fire alarm kept going off. Um, and so that was kind of it at my worst where I was just, you know, doing these little things that just didn't really make much sense to her. Like there was even times too, where she would want to have sex and yeah. there would be a thought that would come into my mind about cancer or, and, and would just, my anxiety would spike and I would just try, I would make an excuse not to have sex with her that night because that thought came into yeah. my mind. And obviously as you know, she wasn't aware of it until the very end until you know the last few months so you can understand how big of a hindrance that is too and so like you have the person that you love you know your significant other is it's causing a whole bunch of friction there it caused a whole bunch of friction with my mom because i was constantly late for things and in my and but in my mind like i was suffering like i was just it's just like that i wasn't being it wasn't doing it on purpose no I, I wanted to leave the house i wanted to have sex i wanted to go to the favorite restaurant i wanted to listen to my favorite movie i wanted to go out but i it just my brain was just telling me not to because it was just throwing these false feelings of like something bad was going to happen so i just had to just sit there and suffer with this so it started to spike and get really bad and that's when i i let her in and I explained to her what was going on. I told her, I didn't give her, I didn't divulge as much information as I'm giving tonight, but I told her, listen, I have um, 
I have obsessive, you know, I have OCD, I get these thoughts, I get these images, and they give me a lot of anxiety, and I started to slowly, you know, slowly let her in. Um, you know, unfortunately, a few months after that, she broke up with me, and then that's when my GAD spiked, and I started to get um, sorrow panic attacks. So I was so, like, I had so much sorrow and so much sadness that I, that I, my brain couldn't cope with it. And looking back at it now, it's what I was actually suffering from was, um, I just talked to my therapist, is PTSD. It's post-traumatic stress disorder because he said um, trauma is anything that is what, whatever the brain is, something that the brain goes through that it can't cope with, where it doesn't know how to cope with this. It, it doesn't cope with that reality. And right when he said yeah. that, that's exactly what I felt. Like I couldn't cope with, my brain did not cope with the love of my life at the time leaving me so fast. And so that's where I, it started to get so bad. I just started to get um, panic attacks of sorrow. My OCD was taking everything from me. Looking, It was taking songs. It was taking my favorite. You can't eat your favorite foods. You'll have a panic attack. You can't watch your favorite show. You can, and it was just taking these little things. And it got so bad to where at the end of the day, I wasn't where I wanted to be. And I didn't do half the things I wanted to do. So... It'd be in the morning. I couldn't have my iced coffee because of OCD. I couldn't listen to my favorite song. I couldn't watch my favorite movie. I couldn't talk to this person. I couldn't send text messages to friends because OCD would try to take all of that because my brain was firing on essentially all cylinders because it was yeah. dealing with the trauma of the breakup and it was also dealing with the GAD. So it was over. Your brain right. was in overdrive. And so I had. I was basically trying to manage and juggle all that when it got really bad. And so, <clears throat> but even as, as bad as it has gotten and how much stuff it has taken, I've always still had a little bit of control over it. And I attribute that because of self-help. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten as nearly as far as I've gotten if I didn't take that first step to start reading about it. Yeah. So even though it did, again, it, as much as it has taken from me, I still knew I didn't give up hope because I knew there was a little bit of hope that I had that I can now get professional help in order to do yeah. it. Fortunately for me, um, right, right at the time where it started to get really bad, like um, both when I was in the relationship and right when I was out of it and it started to take a lot of things, um, this app that I use that I'll mention again at the end of the podcast called NoCD came out with therapy. They came out with teletherapy that you can access directly through the app. Okay. which was great. So I was using that app all the time. It's the forum that I talked about previously is that you just, it's, it, it's basically what it sounds like. It's a forum for everyone who has OCD and people just post on it for tips, tricks, whether they're struggling, they need help. And you can just go and talk to other people who are struggling with this. And it, it I've, there's been so many people on there that I've, that I've talked to and seeing have it less than me, who have it worse than me. There was so many people on there that it, they seemingly on the brink of suicide. Like they'll go on there like saying like, this is my last post and I'm done with this life. But the reason I'm mentioning that is because the, the comments that flooded in below it were incredible. There was so many people below them talking them, trying, you know, trying to talk yeah. them through what was going on. And so, um, when it got as bad as it did, again, I was really on that app quite often. And, and fortunately for me, they came out with, they came out with their own therapy service where you can get your own personalized therapist through the app on the phone, which is insanely convenient. Yeah. So I decided to sign up and um, to, to, to um, you know, to get a therapist. And, and fortunately for me, again, the, the process was easy. Um, 
you just go onto the app, you 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 know you you answer some answer some questions, fill out your insurance information, and then they got back to me with uh, you know with the pricing and the therapy and and who my therapist was, and that's when I met my first therapist, and she was able to help me to take those big steps that I couldn't take on my own because I took a lot of steps on my own through books, articles, and Instagram pages were yeah. a lifesaver as well as well as the forum, and I got a lot of progress on my own, but. Um, ultimately therapy is what helped me to recover which I believe I'm at at about 80% okay so you you started going to therapy at what a year and a half ago yes about actually I think exactly a year and a half and ago. you've you've had what two therapists I've had two therapists yeah I'm on my second therapist so from what you said you're about at an 80% right now yeah 75 80% okay so going in there what what would you say that you were at 60 or 50% of like as far as like living my life so the quality of my so i was living my life at about a 50 60 percent okay so and therapy. then therapy push an extra 20, therapy yeah 25 me to 30. about 80 percent which i'm still working on because it's which it's, is, yeah. i mean how like i know we say this all the time but therapy at least in today's society it means that you're crazy which or, is which, yeah, which is a, that's a whole other podcast it's a it's a it's a common misconception it's a stigma because i've you know, a, everybody i've talked to that have, that has gone to, te- to therapy says it's a lifesaver yeah that it's it's almost a necessity to do it is a necessity to do <laughs> and really like is. for you what i don't know how to word this properly um all right what would you say to people that just think it's just bullshit that think therapy is just not the way to go i'm it's absolutely your a bad idea. It's just if you can if you can recover on your own, then fine. But if you honestly think that therapy is bullshit, that's unfortunately don't want to come out and people saying right or wrong. But it's you're wrong because there's been there's plenty of there's yeah. so many people who've actually recovered for it. It might be wrong for you. But to say it's outright wrong is just a lie. It's yeah. ridiculous. It's like, again, it's if, if you're if you have a problem with your feet and your toes, you go to a podiatrist. If you have a problem, yeah. you know what I mean. If you have a problem with your head, you you go see a neurologist. If you have a problem with your mind, you go you go to therapy. Like that's how. Yeah. Like, that's that's why I think it's absolutely ludicrous that there is a stigma surrounded by going to therapy. But I will say the stigma is more widespread in people who are older and are upper in the generation above them above us i would say our generation and lower it's a little bit more a little bit more normalized um because of there is a mental health pandemic that has been going on in the past few years like it's bad um i I do want to have you can even have another whole separate podcast about again the number the the highest rate for suicide is um is Men between, I think, the ages of like twenty nine and fifty. It, yes. the, the the separation between how much how many men take their lives versus women is astronomical. It's cra- yeah. it, suicide, suicide, for preventable death. It's one of the yeah. leading causes of death amongst men is suicide. I don't. Uh, it's so it's such a hard topic to talk about because it's something that. I feel like a lot of people do get judged for. It's just mental health in itself. Yeah. And especially men's mental health where people are like, oh, just man up. Just, you're a guy. You're not yeah, allowed to have feelings and shit like that. I'm like, dude, shut up. Like, that's not, that's not true at all. Not even, like, it's not even, not only is it not true, but it's, it's, 
detrimental to life itself. Yeah, when you're saying and and guys like that. take that shit to heart. Like, oh, I'm I'll just man up and I'll I don't need I don't need to talk to anybody. I don't need to talk about my feelings. I don't need to do any of that. And unfortunately, a lot of those people end up taking their lives. It's a harsh reality, but and that's that's the biggest problem with it is is you might be able to sustain that for the short term, but down the line that will take its toll on you. And I'm not saying that to scare anybody. I'm saying that to encourage you to go to therapy. Even when things are going well, go to therapy. Like one of, one of the mental health metaphors that I mentioned on this podcast is that you don't, a lot of people wait to, fi- don't fix a rainy roof until it's raining. Yeah. That you you want to fix a leaky roof before it starts raining. So people don't they don't go see therapy until there's actually a problem. Yeah. And and that's the issue is and because growing up, our generation in particular and and uh, people above us as well, we were not taught how to handle our emotions. We were not taught what things mean. We were not taught how to properly manage the most powerful organ in our body. We, you're not yeah. you're not you're not there's you're there's so many other things that they push away in front of you and so the fact that 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 in and of itself is a big reason why there's so many people that are that get misguided and so you you have to again if you if things are going well and you feel like you don't need therapy then that's fine then that's great but i do feel that through different seasons and different portions of your life what can it hurt to just go and because you might find out something that you didn't know that you didn't realize that oh I actually think about something this way because that's basically what therapy does is it helps you to understand yourself like if I like that's what therapy did for me is help me to understand myself so it helped put the puzzle together essentially. yeah you're basically like it just it helps you to understand yourself even more when having a professional listen to you and a professional guide you because when you're in therapy, especially for me, somebody who's as, um, uh, as loquacious as I am, I pretty much well, am my own therapist. Like therapy, like I want to say therapist. My therapy, uh, my therapists love me, but I do a majority of the talking. But that's essentially what's going to happen for the most part is that they ask you the right questions to get yep. you to understand yourself, and because they're professionals in that field they know exactly what to look for what signs to look for and they can help guide you on the right path or tell you you're already on the right path yeah so it's just i just therapy needs to be normalized and what we're doing right now because i've asked myself this question before because i'm continuing to how do you erase the stigma it's like because there's a stigma around mental health and there's a stigma around therapy in general it's like how do you how do you erase that stigma or at least start trying to dilute the stigma and talk about talking it about it that is the number one thing you can do is literally talk exactly. about it and and what's interesting is that i try to talk about it as much as i can and i even talk about it at work or to strangers so i'll find any excuse uh, not an excuse but if i see an opportunity in a conversation where i can mention therapy i do it so when i'm at work i you, instead you just, of saying yeah. i have to go to the doctors later i will tell them like oh i'm actually going to see oh no i haven't i have to leave early i'm going to see my therapist yeah because you plant the seed right exactly because they, in yeah. that moment too like i'm not gonna again thoughts come into my mind I don't want all the guys and my boss knowing at work. Like that's the thought that comes to my mind that I have to go to therapy. Yeah. Like that's the thought that comes to my mind. But then I realize that by telling them, oh, I'm just going to the doctors, I'm just contributing to the stigma more. Yeah. 
And so just, I let anytime, like, yeah, I just normalize it because that's exactly what I'm doing. And I've done that so much that it doesn't, I can honestly say it doesn't bother me. Mike. I have no problem telling people I have, I have GAD, I have OCD, and I see a therapist on a, on a weekly, a weekly, monthly basis. And just continuing to talk about it is the number one way that you can erase the stigma. So when you figured out that OCD was the, the main cause, so that was four years ago, right? Yeah. Four years ago is when I picked up the first book. So when you when you first realized it, who was the first person that you told? Uh, nobody for the next, like, three years. Okay, so when you finally did come out and say it... Was my girlfriend at the time, was okay. the first person that I told. Okay, so when you... When was the first time that you told, like, your family? Well, well let me rephrase that. Does your whole family know? Um, my mom and my sister know. I'm not sure if my dad does. I told my mom... And my mom told my sister and my brother. Okay. That was last year. That was last year. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what? It, have you ever had, like, an internal conversation with them? About exactly what goes through my yeah. mind? No. Because I know that they Dude. wouldn't understand. And not that I wouldn't be open to it, because um, I am, but they wouldn't really understand. Okay. And, and I'm okay with that. Again, I have no problem explaining to them if they, if my mom ever, like I said, I explained to my mom, she has an idea of what it is. Um, but she still is under the impression that it's just things have to be done meticulously and neatly. She thinks that's that's a majority of it. Um, but for the most part, they don't really understand like the suffering that I went through um, that OCD caused. But they are aware that I have it. Okay. Do they ever kind of like throw it back in your face at all or no? No, they've never thrown it. They never. I think they're because they don't understand it. They won't do they it. They won't talk. They won't. They won't do it, or they won't necessarily talk about it to me. So they won't. They won't ask the questions. Essentially. No, because they don't necessarily understand. I know that part of that again is my job to make them understand, which I have. But I told them, like, I, my mom in general, that I'm, you know, always open to talk to it about it. But for the most part, they, it's, I don't really talk about it much at all with family or friends. I feel like your mom would probably be the most understanding. Understanding, yeah. Um, could, well, my mom has GAD. Okay. So, but. I mean, your relationship with your, with your mom, at least from what I know, has gotten at least ex- exponentially better. Yeah, from, oh yes. From I guess high school, from when oh, I started yeah. knowing you, and then up till now, it's gotten a whole oh, hell of a I'm, lot better. Yeah, I'm closest to my mom I've ever been. Um, because I know that back in the day, you felt like the black sheep of your family. I was the black sheep of my family. Where you were, you I were still am the black sheep. Of my you were family. the rebel in the family. Yeah. I would, I, I wouldn't. Rebel when I I would say rebel when I was early in high school because I rebelled against a lot of things, <laughs> but then when I started to come into who I was when I started to come into college and I yeah. and I started to read more, that kind of shifted and shifted into a black sheep. As in my views and values don't Match align with- as much with my family, and okay. that's not a bad thing. I just no I yeah don't, you know I just there's whether it be how I view society or how I view even mental health, how I view yeah. um, thing interests and hobbies and stuff. It's just different from my family. Okay. So would you be willing to have an open conversation with them if, yeah. they, if they ever wanted to? Yeah, I, I would have no problem. So you have no problem them. hiding it at no, all? No, I don't. Okay. I just, I'm, I only talk to, where I'm at in my life is I'm only talking to people who A, are capable of understanding what it is because I know that there are some people in my family who, even family and friends who I would talk to who aren't capable of understanding the the intris- the intricities and the complex uh, the how complex OCD actually is and what I'm 
actually going through. And also, I don't want to talk to about it people who don't want to understand. Yeah. And and I can kind of gauge that. I know that, again, I have you and a, and a couple of other friends who I have no problem talking to it about and, and being open about it and my therapist. And that's enough for me. I don't need anybody else to understand. But I'm also at the same time completely willing and open to talk to about it with anybody who has OCD or wants to learn about OCD or has a family member about OCD. Because I have so many, again, if, uh, so many tools and resources um, um, on my phone, whether it be books, quotes, pages, articles that I've had that have saved my life um, over the past four years that I started to look it up. So how how does it affect your everyday? Is it an everyday thing yes, that it happens? Every, day. every single day? Every day. There's, there's not a day that goes, there's, there wasn't a day and still isn't, but as far as, as the intensity of them, it's, they're not as intense, but okay. there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't have some sort of a avoidance compulsion or obsessive thought or image that got stuck in my mind in some way. So how long on average do those last? Um, sometimes they can last. At least for you. On average, again, sometimes it's a few minutes and sometimes it's a few hours. So I'd say on average about an hour. Okay. So can one... Can that one instance bleed into the next day? Yeah, that's exactly what they do. Is they okay, bleed, okay bleed so it can just keep bleeding. It'll bleed into the next day and then usually bleed itself out. It usually it'll dissipate <clears throat> if it's that bad within uh, a couple of days. But by the time that's done, something else, another, as with OCD, the cycle, as the OCD cycle is, another thought or image will take its place. Okay, so it just pretty much replaces it. It's just it. a cycle. Yeah, okay. it's, it's a cycle. Um, can you recall the, the worst one that you've ever had? Um, that's interesting. Uh, or at least one that sticks out in your mind as like, this is a bad one. Yeah. There was one where, um, I was actually, I was working at, uh, I was the, I was the manager at the grocery store at the time and the lady's husband was going through, um, some sort of an operation to get a tumor removed. And she talked about it constantly. Um, which, you know, obviously she was concerned about her husband. She, she talked about it constantly. And so I was miserable and anxious, like almost every day at work, there wouldn't be a day where again, and that's the thing is nothing else was going like everything else in my life was fine. You know, there wasn't anything else going on, but just, again, it's like, imagine everything else in your life is great, but you're constantly worried that a plane's going to crash into your house. How you can't sit down and enjoy a movie. You can't sit yeah. down and enjoy your friends cause you're constantly worried. And so I remember I just had I just had anxiety and dread um, for the longest time. And I was just miserable eating lunch because I wouldn't eat as much as I wanted to because I was because uh, of OCD. Yeah. I was anxious. I wouldn't listen to the things I wanted to listen to. I wouldn't watch the things that I would want because I was just so consumed by a f me, you know, a f afraid of me or a family member getting that disease. So when you when the thought comes into your mind, do you personally do you just let it play out or do you or can you do something to kind of okay let's what i kinda... do now or what i did because what Both. i do well what i did was i attached myself to the thought and i engaged it okay and so i would go down the rabbit hole of so that you, thought so you were just breathing life into yes i would okay. i would go down again that one image i'd go down the rabbit hole mm -hmm. and 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 different play out different scenarios in my mind and that then would lead to the compulsions and the anxiety because i was engaging in that thought yeah what i do now is i let the thoughts be there without engaging with them and that's you know the number one rule 
that I've learned over the past decade, 10 years, you know, eight to 10 years of my life with both OCD and anxiety is that it is not how you feel, but what you do that matters. I'm going to say that again. It's not how you feel, but what you do that matters. So it doesn't matter if you're anxious. It doesn't matter if you're sad. It doesn't matter if you're frustrated. It doesn't matter if you're panicking. It's what you do, your actual actions that matter. It is easier to act your way into new of, into a new way of thinking than think your way into new way of acting. So you literally have to behave as though everything's okay because it is. So instead of engaging with that thought and going down the rabbit hole and not eating and not enjoying the movie, I just continue, I have to continue my day on as normal with that thought and feeling along with it and not do anything about it, which is incredibly difficult. Yeah. But that's the, that's basically what you do. And the number one, the number one treatment for therapy is exposure and response prevention is what it's called. And that's basically what it is, is you expose yourself to whatever it is that you're afraid of and you prevent your normal response. So okay. if your normal, if your normal response in that situation, say would to be to tap on a glass or your normal situation to be, would to be avoid something, you basically do what OCD is telling you not to do or not do what OCD is telling you to do. Okay. Um, and the one doctor, um, Philip Stevenson, I believe his name is, is he put it beautifully. He's like, Exposure and exposure and response prevention and recovery from OCD is extremely challenging, but it is not in the it is not in any way complicated. It is the most simplistic technique you can ever imagine. It's simply exposing yourself to what you're afraid of and doing what you know you should be doing. And whether that be continue on with your day or picking up your baby or yeah. going to see your mom, it's it's black and white as far as what you need to do. It's extremely challenging. He says it's one of the hardest things you can do with that disorder, but it's not complicated. Okay, so now what do you do now to kind of... I do I, you I, just... exposure. It's basically what I was able to recover through exposure and response prevention. So okay. I divulged all of the, my information to my therapist. I told her everything I was afraid of, and you continue to go on... Uh, you continue to base your therapy around my particular subtype. So an example, I was afraid of catching diseases. I was afraid of hospitals. One of my um, exposures was to actually have to go to a hospital, sit in front of the hospital, and then go on about my day. Because normally whenever I would drive to a hospital for the rest of the day, I would be completely anxious and I would, I would be very careful about what I did. I wouldn't, yeah. again, watch a favorite show. I wouldn't, I would just want to get through, through the end of the day. So one of my exposure um, practices was I had to go to Chilton and I had to drive through the emergency room and sit in front of the emergency room, have anxiety, and then go about my day. For me, the next thing in line that I had to do would go food shopping, which normally I would never be able to do because I would be afraid that there would be some association with all of the food items that I bought and somebody going to a hospital. So I would wait, I would normally have to wait till the next day to go. Yeah. To pick so it just, up. it just stacked on top of one another. Exactly. So my, my therapy was having to drive to a hospital, sit in front of the hospital, continue about my day. Again, for, it's app saved my life. Fortunately for me, I had my therapist, you know, um, not on call, so to speak, but I was able to message her and say, I'm, you know, which again, it made all the difference having a, you know, the, the, my therapist hand basically to hold throughout the first portions of my therapy and exposures 
to sit there and say and tell her, okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm sitting in front of the hospital. I went to the emergency room and I went to Chilton. Um, I put on my favorite shirt, actually, the Nintendo 64 shirt I had just bought. And I, you know, I told her, I was like, well, I, you know, she was like, is there anything else OCD's going after? And I, you know, I explained to her, you know, I, I bought these things yesterday and I bought this favorite food. And she's like, okay, I want you to grab your favorite food, put on your put on the shirt you just bought and sit in front of the emergency room. And then I want you to go food shop and continue about your days as normal. That for me, I had like an anxiety at like a seven or eight. And I okay. was just miserable. I was not miserable, but I was so un I so uh, um, uneasy and unnerved for the rest of the day doing that. And then guess what I did next week? Very same thing. And that's how exposure or response prevention works. You just continue to expose yourself to what you're afraid of to show that that wiring, that that miss that um, fire alarm, that car alarm that's going off um, inappropriately that nothing is wrong. And what's what's cool about this, there's actually science back behind it, and it's called neuroplasticity. And neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to literally rewire itself through behavior. That is, that's fucking sick. You could literally change your brain and how your brain works, the, the inner workings and the depths of your brain, you can change how they work through behavior. Like, it's crazy to me. You could literally... Again, you can change feelings, you can change thoughts, you can change triggers, you can get over so... The, the brain's ability to be neuroplastic is incredible. And you, and, but you just have to keep at it. You have to keep doing yeah. it again and again and again and again until your brain eventually learns that you know what to do. Now, how long did you do the hospital thing for? A uh, few weeks. Okay, so is that feeling still there? No. Or is it... It's gone now. Yeah, for the most part. It's still... I'm. Don't get me wrong. I, I still, I'm still uneasy going there. Oh, but ha, ha, look, believe me. I've been around hospitals for yeah. a very long time. Just, but you're you, so used to them. You would think that I'm used to them by now, but, but I there's still a little bit. I just, hate, I just I hate the feeling. It's the smell of the place. It's everything about that place. I can't stand because yeah. I've had nothing but bad shit happen yeah, there. Well, that's you know that's or the, leading up to that, and yeah. I'm like I I hate it that's as much like, as I, as much as I'm almost kind of numb to it now. I just I I hate it. Because you're used to it. Numb is, yeah. Wouldn't, I wouldn't say numb. You're, you're, I just I just don't like the feeling around it. It's like there. a bad aura around the place. Yeah, you don't. As as much as it's there to help you, for me, like, I just me, I can't I can't yeah. stand it. But you always look for the people like the nurses and the of course of people who are there um, to help you through it. And so it, it's just it's like again that's one of the things like when I drove my dad to um, the hospital. Um, after, um, I'm not sure if, um, if I told you that when my dad had, my dad also had to go to the hospital when my mom was in the hospital, I had to take my, I had to take my dad there and I went to the same emergency room that yeah. I sat in with, with therapy and I was, you know, I was fine. I was able to, again, I was still uneasy. I was, con you know, concerned about my dad and everything. And I was still a little bit concerned about being there, but, um, I was able to continue about my day, you know, as I, as I normally would, um, to whereas that, um, a few years ago, I would have gone home and just want to just sit and wait, you know, for the day to be done. Yeah. Um, all right. So take me through the anxiety disorder. So G, yeah, so I have G, this one's again, general anxiety disorders is basically, again, it's, um, it's tough. I, I'll get anxiety sort of sometimes out of nowhere. Like okay. That's like I'll just get little things can kind of, can kind of set off, uh, either little things can set off my anxiety. So there's no, um, there's not necessarily a correlation between as far as trigger and um, as far as a, a stimulus and a response is concerned. There'll be sometimes I'll just be watching TV and I'll just start to get anxious for some reason. Okay. Again, for it, 
sometimes it'll, it'll just kind of go off. And then is it about anything at all or just, no, it's just a feeling that it'll, okay. just, it'll just show up. It's just my brain's feelings that kind of just shows up. Um, and it also, it'll kind of inappropriately, um, intensify things that I, that, um, I shouldn't normally, I guess you wouldn't necessarily normally get too anxious about. So let's say you forget to send um, a text message to somebody that's very small or maybe something like you forget to put the, um, you forget to put the garbage out or something really small like that. Yeah. Sometimes my, uh, you know, that anxiety normally for normal, like for a person without it would probably be at like a one, like, oh, I didn't do this, whatever, to where sometimes it'll be at like a six or, you know, it'll be like a six or a seven. And then it'll kind of just, you know, spike out of nowhere. So do do these usually go hand in hand? Uh, sometimes or, they do, sometimes they don't. So but in your case, it does. Yeah. But it it doesn't necessarily like you have one, you're gonna have the other. No. Okay. Some, some days, some days I do, and, and some days I don't. Like, okay. I'll get uh, an obsessive thought that'll can trigger the GAD. Okay. Yeah. So. One of they they both affect each other for you. Yeah, at they least. both they can they both they work hand in hand essentially. Right? Um, so what does your daily life look like? At least now, now now compared to what it used to look like. What it, again? What it used to look like was very um, is more. I I want to say I don't want to say hopeless because it's such a strong word, but I didn't see a light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, that's so, a good way to describe. I didn't. I was in the tunnel and I I was in this spiral and I didn't see a light. Like okay. I didn't see how this could get any better, and I didn't see. But I also didn't see how it can really get too worse. But I didn't see how it can get better either. Now, was that at the very start, or when you started to figure out what was going on? That was when I started to figure out what was going on. Okay, and I so to understand it more. So, like in the beginning, it was just like you were just walking through a tunnel. Essentially. Yeah, I was just going. I didn't because I didn't have a name to it. I just it was it, like once I figured out what it was, I started to actually get a a, a little bit worse because now i knew what was going on but also at the same time i got stronger because of it so now the light was fading at that point right once exactly. you figured it out yeah so was there a point where that light just completely went off where you there was just no hope no there was never a point where there was absolutely no hope so there was a, i wouldn't be here if there was like if, if true I, yeah like if i genuinely believe that there was absolutely no hope and it wouldn't be and i, and I i'm grateful that i'm a testament to the way i was raised and um the the world that I live in because actually of social media and because of being able to connect with people and because of the content that I have, I always had hope. There was always something little, even if the, you know, anxiety got really bad. So the light was never, ever It was gone. never completely distinguished. It was just super dim. Yeah. Cause there was times where there was thoughts that came across my mind. Like, you know, I could kill myself. Like I yeah. could kill myself. And, you know, in, in my mind, I believe that I would beat OCD, which is, completely ludicrous because yeah. I, you know the the, the ocd isn't an, an actual entity it isn't an actual you know person yeah. that wouldn't win uh, it's just a it, it'd be like again if you have a cold and you kill yourself and you're telling yourself i beat the cold so i did get thoughts that came across my mind but i i, I want to make it clear i never considered suicide okay like i got thoughts in my mind that i could i could kill myself or i could harm myself but i never considered Suicide. You never, you never acted on. No, it. I never acted okay. or considered on, or even cons- like really considered suicide. I just got thoughts about them. Okay, well, because you always tell me you're, you are not your thoughts. Yeah, and that's and some- that's what saved me. Yeah, when those thoughts came up, because again, a lot of people, 
again, that's another subtype of suicidal OCD. They'll get thoughts of killing themselves and they'll think that they actually want to kill themselves when in reality they don't. They're just attaching a, a false meaning to the thought and then the compulsions mm-hmm. will follow. So you said that, we'll just say it's been a decade. Yeah, it's, it's been, about, it's been okay. about 10 years. So do you think that it'll ever get, do you think that it can ever get worse again? Sure. Um, and do you think how long will it rest? Will it last for the rest of your life? Yeah, o- OCD. OCD is a lifelong disorder, and I don't. Again, I don't say that as a way to discouragement. It's something that you have to accept, and then once you accept it, then you get a handle on it. So it's and what I mean by um, it'll always be a part of your life is that you're always gonna your brain is always gonna produce these thoughts and these feelings that are going to try and get you to act or get you to try and scare you. Again, people with OCD, that's just how your brain works. You're, and ex- the first part of that is accepting it. And then once you accept that's always going to happen and you, you learn how to manage this disorder, then you'll still get those thoughts and feelings, but they'll be able to move on much more smoothly and much more quicker to the point where you actually don't notice them anymore. So you technically still have OCD, but you're so recovered that you don't notice that you have it. So is it like you're kind of <clears throat> scarred at that point? Not scarred. You just learned how to handle them correctly. You're not jumping at every thought and every feeling as you normally would. So you're essentially, you're not running up to get the fire extinguisher every time it goes off because now you know what's going on. Okay. Um, so through this whole process, did your self-esteem and your confidence take a hit? or no. Or did you ever feel like... I know the person that I am and what I stand for. Was that ever in question? No. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to, I say that out of confidence and self-love. I never questioned my self-esteem or my confidence. If anything, my self-esteem, one of the silver linings of OCD was that my self-esteem and my self-confidence actually grew because I had to handle these moments essentially completely alone like by myself i had nothing but my books and my quotes that that i had and so if anything ocd just boosted my self-esteem and my self-confidence okay because i had to learn i had to learn even more about myself than i had previously um do you do you have any advice for people that just don't really know what's happening yeah that's like i gotta want to i want to end with this okay so i there's Again, as I said, there's many different um, subtypes with OCD. Uh, again, there's harm o- there's um, magical thinking OCD, self-harm OCD, harm OCD. Um, you have uh, suicidal OCD. And, and again, it's, but it's basically, it's all the same thing. Again, just to, to reiterate how OCD works is there's, there's a thought or an image that comes into your mind. It could be anything, anything at all that disturbs you. With people with OCD, that it gets stuck. The alarm system in the brain goes off. You perform a compulsion, that anxiety comes down, but guess what? The thought image will return and your brain says, well, what did we do last time when this thought or image came up? We did a compulsion, we avoided something, we tapped the light switch, we didn't see our daughter, we didn't go see the movie. Let's do that again and the anxiety will come down. And so you rob yourself of the um, ability to manage that anxiety. So the the tips that I have, I wrote down as an anxiety survival guide over... um, Particularly, actually, over the uh, over the past four or five months, I started to write it down when the, the GAD started to come up again. And so one of the things that um, helped me that I write down is that anytime you have an anxiety attack, record it. 
And why that helps is because once that anxiety subsides and the equilibrium returns, you'll see that you made it through. And then the next time it happens, and again, equilibrium will return. You'll return to baseline and you survive another one. And the next thing you know, when you're on your seventh or eighth one, you look back at this journal on how many anxiety and or anxiety attacks or panic attacks that you got through and you realize that you're able to survive every one of them. Yeah. And because one of the th- one of the things that anxiety does, one of there's there's two particular prongs to anxiety that I believe um, are its strongest weapons, so to speak. I don't like saying that because I don't like personifying um, anxiety because it's just a feeling. But for um, just to further understand it, is that it makes you feel like um, that you're alone, that you're the only person feeling this. Right. Yeah. So it it isolates you completely from others and it makes you feel like this feeling will never go away. Both are lies. You are. That's that's a fact. There is probably millions of other people having an anxiety attack <laughs> at that exact moment. And the feeling will always leave. It will always leave. Even if you want somehow you want anxiety to stay around it, it will leave because it's just like, again, it's transient. It's just like happiness. As mo- no matter how bad you want happiness to stay, you want to feel this feeling of love, you want yeah. to feel this feeling of happiness, it will leave. That's both discouraging and encouraging at the same time because as awful as these feelings are, they will leave at some point. So, so realizing that you're not alone and that these feelings will leave. And I was able to do that through writing down, writing these things down in my journal and seeing how many times. And basically I just wrote down, okay, where I was having the anxiety attack, how high it was, if there was a trigger, and where I was, just to kind of remind myself. I also didn't ask you that, like, because I know that you have a journal. I know that personally, yeah. but I didn't ask that on here. So how how long have you been writing your journal for? The past year. So you've filled this puppy up. Oh, my, yeah. I, I have, um, actually, I pay about, actually about a year and four or five months, um, I'm on to my second book. So now how often do you go back and look at... I have every day recorded in my entire life for the past basically year and four months. Every day. Now, do you... Now, when you're going through, when you're writing down, do you look back at... Yeah, often. But how often do you go back? Do you go back like a week? Do you go back to the beginning? I'll usually... What I'll usually try to do is I'll go back a week that week. So like when the week's done, I'll look back and I'll look back at the week... Um, and my journal is, again, I write down anything in particular that day that I want to talk about or something that I feel that I've learned or something that I, I went through or experienced. But uh, majority of it is little things that I'm grateful for that I'll write down okay. each and every day that I'm, it can be the smallest thing like watching Game of Thrones with you is on there quite often. It'll be a little thing. I'll just write that down or being in the company of my best friend or enjoying a, a cup of coffee and the sun's on me. As I explained in the last podcast. Yeah sun was just experiencing the sun was just something that was that was small to me so just i'll just i'll write down and record again my day and then there'll be sometimes where if i'm on a sunday i want to um kind of just go and look at the past four or five months i can go all the way back and and look at it look at a couple things so and i i have i also again as i said i also have uh, the another journal to accompany and that's the journal that i have with anxiety so um as far as my tips for anxiety um what I have in this one, I put anxiety. I put anxiety just a passenger. Now you know what that's from. Yes. What's interesting? Again, I I know we said we wrap up on this, but this is something that's really important that 
it kind of ties into to the journal, so I'm going to talk about it. When you listen to that song, what do you think that line means where he says, anxiety, just a passenger? Um, meaning you're just, you're essentially along for the ride. Right. It, and eventually that ride is going to come to an end. There, there's no, it's not a, it's not a 24 hour a day, seven day a week, 365 feeling. Right. Where eventually you're just along for the ride until that ride is over. I didn't look at it like that, but that's interesting. The, what I what I took it like that I took it as, but I, I like that. I like how that the ride will eventually end. Yeah, yeah. What I took it as though. What's interesting is he says, is the wording that he uses in the lyric. He says, "Anxiety, just a passenger," and he doesn't use, "I'm just a passenger." So basically, how that would look on paper is anxiety, comma, just a passenger. So what that means is, the. I think it's the the pronoun on the sentence would be anxiety. I'm probably wrong on that, but so it's a it's a it's saying the adjective used to describe anxiety is the word passenger, meaning anxiety is the passenger. Which oh okay right. So what's when I when I had that insight about that song, it just opened up this floodgates of this new perspective on anxiety. That anxiety is the passenger, which means you're in what. You're, you're, you're driving. In control. You're, you're, you're control. in control, and anxiety is just a passenger. And, and that dude's going to have to get out the car well, eventually. But, right, but that's what's so interesting about it is, like, he says anxiety. He doesn't say anxiety, I'm just a passenger. I'm is in that lyric. Yeah. I'm's not there. It's anxiety, comma, just a passenger, meaning when he's referring to anxiety as a passenger, the way that this that lyric is formulated yeah. s- suggests that anxiety is the passenger. And when I read that, I'm like... It's such a cool perspective because it circles around to the golden rule that I feel not only in anxiety, but I feel in life in general is it's not how you feel. It's what you do that will always matter. It yeah. does not matter how you feel. And it, again, whether you're a peak, whether you're Michael Jordan, you're uh, uh, Mike Tyson, it doesn't matter. These people, I'm sure they had fear, They had, but they did things. Whether they have fear because yeah. they're boxing or fear because they're at the game seven of the NBA, you know, NBA yeah. finals or because you're having anxiety for whatever reason, it's what you do that matters. So I just thought that was really interesting that anxiety is the passenger, not you. Yeah. And so it's like looking at it that way, realizing that... You, you're the one that's always in control and yeah. anxiety is the one that's along for the ride. So just yeah. take anxiety along for the ride. So the name of that song is obviously anxiety by yeah. angels and airwaves. Angels and airwaves. I know we didn't mention it. So. I thought I did. I'm yeah. Sorry. But yeah. So again, so some of the things that I, that I wrote um, is that is you feel anxiety and breathe for the right reason. So a lot of the time is people see anxiety is not the enemy. So I put feel anxiety. It's not the enemy. Breathe into it. And, and do not distract or talk yourself away from anxiety. Give yourself, give anxiety the attention that it needs and know how to feel it. Show your mind there never was and never will be anything to be afraid of. The feeling of anxiety does not need to be pushed away. That is probably the, that's as far as dealing with anxiety is concerned, that is one of the number one principles that anxiety in and of itself, it is not good. It is not bad. It is simply a feeling and it doesn't need to get pushed away. It is not comfortable. It sucks. It can be really and even annoying sometimes, but in and of itself, it's not dangerous and just let it do what it needs to do. And I say breathe for the right reasons. You're not breathing to push away anxiety. You're just breathing to give the anxiety the attention that it wants. I'm not saying engaging with thoughts, just recognizing you're feeling anxious right yep. now. Breathe to give it room and let anxiety move on its own time and let time do the work. So that was a big thing for me that I wrote down to remind myself that I'm not the enemy. But the, the worst thing to do is to 
constantly feed into it. Just feed where, into it and try to get and try to control it or move it away. That's the yeah. worst thing you can do is try to get rid of it or distract yourself. If you're feeling anxious and you're simply just trying to, again, there are healthy distractions, but don't distract yourself away from the anxiety. Do something with the anxiety. So if like, okay, I want to watch I'm feeling anxious right now. I want to watch my show, but do it with the intentions of I'm gonna watch my show with my anxiety not to try to get away from it because yeah. if you try to get away from it it just teaches your brain that something this needs to this is something that needs to be paid attention to and this is a harm to us yeah. and it's not you want to yeah. you have to again but it's hard because you're literally rewiring millions of years in your brain that <laughs> this anxiety something has to be done with yeah so i wrote that myself down again i wrote learn to let anxiety be with you so when you're not feeling it you're not afraid of it so when you do get anxiety you learn how to handle it so when you don't have it if you're thinking, oh man, if I get anxiety tonight, that would stink. You realize, wait a minute, I've handled it successfully before. So now if it does come up, I know how to handle it. But ironically, now that you know how to handle it, guess what? Most of the time it doesn't show up. The, yeah. anxi- the feeling doesn't show up because your brain is starting to learn. This is how we're probably trying to handle it. Me personally, I give that <clears throat> like a light, like a life form essentially, where if I'm running away from anxiety, anxiety is just, it's chasing me. Eventually, yeah. I'm gonna run out of stamina, but that thought it, it'll, of anxiety it'll, is not gonna no. it's not gonna stop running just because I stop. It'll, it'll it's gonna catch move. up to you eventually, so you might as well just pal around with it for a little bit and let it just again let it be there. Like yeah. that was one of the things. And also, what I what I put as well, this was a big one for me is remember, there's no need to assess aspects of your life. Um, uh, anxiety puts a distorted filter over your values and fears. I said, this is the key. Anxiety is neither good nor bad. Suspend judgment in that moment. So basically what that means is that when you when you are having anxiety, anything that you were worried about in your life amplifies and, and, and makes it seem worse than it even is. And anything good in your life gets diluted because you're anxious. But realizing that it's just a, it's just a distortion. That's just a filter that it puts onto your life. And so you have to remind yourself of that. It's kind of like when your anxiety is kind of like being in the dark and looking under your bed as a kid. You freak out because, you're, oh my gosh, what's under the bed? But then you realize you turn on the lights and it was just a sock or a, or yeah. a sweater. And so it's like when you shut the lights off again and you look on your bed and you see that same image, you remember, oh, that's right. There's just a distortion because yeah. it's, it's dark right now. So that was something that was key for me to remind myself of is that there's no need to assess anything uh, in that moment. And then um, there was another one that oh yeah, I wrote. Um, it's a natural part of life. That was something that is that was really important for me is that anxiety is is and always will be a natural part of life. That's why you asked me, could it ever get worse? I, I'm sure it could. Whether it's going to, whether it's not, I, I don't know. Don't I'm know, not yeah. concerned with it. I'm not. I don't want to worry about whether it's going to get worse or whether it's not. I'm. I'm sure I'm going to have my spikes. I'm sure I'm going to have my moments where I'm going to you know slip down the ladder every now and then. But there are going to continue to be opportunities to learn, and I have definitely made so much progress. Yeah. Um, as of starting therapy, and so it was just. Again, that's the the number one. What I said, the number one thing. It's not how you feel, but what you do, and realize that anxiety is such a natural part of life. Because again, especially the um, the particularly the baby boomer generation is they were taught that anxiety is so bad. Now, yes, chronic anxiety does lead to health problems, but short term anxiety in and of itself, like those little panics or bursts, you can have feelings. They're relatively harmless, and you have to just learn to be with them. Um, so. And I want to end with the resources that I've used that to help change my life. Um, 
NoCD is the app that I use to communicate and connect with everybody who uh, was able to help me through uh, my anxiety attacks or my OCD episodes. And you can get therapy with a, your own personal therapist on that app. It has everything that you need. It has tools. It has resources. Um, OCD Recovery UK on Instagram has been huge for me. Um, if you go give them a follow, they, they post um, constantly about all these tips and tricks. Um, and the OCD stories on Instagram, and they do a podcast. Uh, they post all the time about different subtypes, about, and they, they speak to um, not only therapists, but um, uh, clinical psychiatrists and psychologists who are specifically study OCD and specific, uh, specifically study the uh, wiring in the brain that okay. misfires when this is happening. So there's so much biology and science behind <clears throat> it that they come out to try to explain to you on, on how to get this to stop. And I can't push this enough is go to therapy. If you have if you have OCD or you suspect you have OCD or you suspect a loved one has OCD, go to therapy. Again, my, the, the, if you have if you don't know where to go, download the NoCD app and they will guide you on where they will guide you how to get a therapist. They will guide you who you need to talk to. They will give you tools and resources because I have. Is seen, it a free? Is it a free form? It is a free form, completely okay. free. Therapy in and of itself, they accept insurance, but it, there is a charge if you don't have insurance. But they accept a wide ranges of, of insurance. It sounds like a plug. I swear to God, it's not. I uh, uh, want to, but <laughs> of uh, uh, if you needed to do it, go go to that app, download it, and there's there's other again there's other um, you can just type in uh, clinical therapists you know on Google to find, but just go get help because I have seen and talked to so many people who wait so long, especially on the forum. They're, they're so, their self-esteem and their self-worth and, and who they are as a mom, as a dad, as a son, as a daughter, as a friend is getting drastically just torn and ripped apart because of this disorder because they don't know how to handle it. So you've got to get the help that you need and you're in, in it's going to take work, but I can almost guarantee you that if you put in the work and you practice ERP, get exposure and response prevention, you will 100% get better. And I'm living proof. I'm not 100%. Yeah. I still have ladders to climb, but I, I promise you that if you put in the work I've seen and talk to people who have had it so much worse, they have gotten better through this. It takes work, but do it. And and that's not to say that it's going to get it's not going to get better overnight. It's absolutely not going to get better. That's overnight. not how therapy yeah. works. That's not yeah. how any of this works. It's You take the little baby steps. Yep. Sometimes you'll go back. There yeah. are times where you'll oh, regress. You'll that's exactly you. It's basically it's basically taking um, five steps forward and three steps back. Yeah, that's basically what therapy was for me, and still is. Is I take a lot of steps forward, but then I take a few steps back. A yeah. lot of steps forward, a few steps back. Yeah. So I think the main thing is to just kind of be patient with yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. It's something that's kind of out of your control. It is the 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 brain wiring in and of itself and the feelings and the thoughts are completely out of your control. Yeah, so um, just be patient with yourself. I see too many people beat themselves up over the littlest things. Just you're not your thoughts and you're not your feelings. Yeah. It gets lost in the cliche and it sounds. I know it sounds so. It sounds ridiculous. Like it'd be like belong on a poster on the wall and like your third good class. You know what your thoughts are. But you it's see, true. you're not. You are not your thoughts and feelings. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people who believe that they are. And that's why I'm, I always try to erase that whole think positive only and think positive thoughts because yeah. that just that really misrepresents what's what you're at, what's actually going on in the brain. Yeah. No, the, the more information, the better. I think 
Yeah, I, I think definitely it's want to do another one with everyone here and just talk yeah, about it. You know, we, I mean, we definitely can. Um, if you guys at home want to listen, Brotherhood of Podcasting on everything. Um, you can find us there. But it's on literally everything. everything. Instead I, of having to go through the list, I was yeah, like, I'm I just heard like, that once. Yeah. it's on literally All every major po- uh, yeah podcast platforms and social media platforms. We're on everything. It's Brotherhood of Podcasting. Um, there's going to be more episodes of High Anxiety coming out. I have a couple of guests lined up, so that'll be a good time. I'm more than okay with taking my time yeah. with it. I just don't want to. This is this is like you. This is serious yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah. So again, all major platforms, Brotherhood of Podcasting on everything. And again, thank you for coming on, Mike. Yeah, I do absolutely. appreciate you. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you guys on the next one.